Hello and welcome to night number 14 of 31 Nights of Frights, year 3, the franchise. My name is Adam and I'll be your host. Night 14 means we go back to Hellraiser. Hellraiser 4 to be exact, but it's not actually called Hellraiser 4 and I will get into that a little bit later in the episode. This is the 1996 Alan Smithy, but really Kevin Yeager directed Hellraiser Bloodline. Hellraiser Bloodline initially takes place in the 22nd century, and this is the one where Pinhead goes to space. Yes, it's silly when a lot of horror franchises go to space. Jason from Friday the 13th went to space in Jason 10. You also have Leprechaun who went to space in Leprechaun 4 in space. So it's only fitting that Pinhead gets his time in space too, right? Of course, I'm sort of making jokes here about the whole thing. It almost seems like any time a horror franchise is in need of an idea, they put it in space. Not always good for the franchise and not usually looked fondly on by fans. With Hellraiser Bloodline, I think the least of its problems are its space setting, or initial space setting, as this actually takes place over the course of three different time periods. We get 18th century France, we get modern day US, and finally we get the 22nd century, which is where the space setting is handled. I'm going to be upfront on this one. I do not hate Hellraiser Bloodline. However, it does have its share of problems. A lot of the story doesn't quite gel together and that's because of producers Bob and Harvey Weinstein. They were heads of Miramax at the time and well, they kind of chopped the movie up against Kevin Yeager's wishes. They went and did some reshoots and it created the Frankenstein of a movie that we have here. It's not all bad here, the movie is actually perfectly watchable. It's just a shame that a lot of the scenes that were cut were a lot of scenes from the 18th century France, which is, in my opinion, the most interesting part of this film. That setting gives birth to the demon known as Angelique in the film, who is almost a rival for Pinhead in the modern-day America setting. In the past, we actually get a pretty good backstory to the creation of the Lament configuration by toy maker Philip Le Marchand. He makes this box for a sadist, and the sadist kills the prostitute, and that's where we get the, I guess, true villain of the story, Angelique, or at least the villain of half of the story. It is somewhat humorous that in these flashback scenes, we have actor Adam Scott, and it's interesting that he would be in something like this, but I heard that he is a fan of Hellraiser, or was a fan of the films up until that point, and wanted to be involved in any way possible. Of course, he's gone on to do other things, He's not normally known for any kind of horror work. He's normally in a lot of comedies, specifically Will Ferrell comedies or the Will Ferrell produced Eastbound and Down. He had a few scenes in a few of the episodes of that. It's just kind of weird to see him in a horror movie setting in one of his first roles. 
I think the actual least interesting aspect of this film is probably the modern day America setting. And that would also be with the descendant of Le Marchand with the character of John Merchant. And then you also have Dr. Paul Merchant, which is in the future. So it gets a little ridiculous and convoluted with the story itself, but I do like the fact that they have actor Bruce Ramsey. They have him playing all three characters here, and he does a pretty good job of differentiating between the different ones, but it's really a story about how his family is almost cursed because they created this box that presented the gateway into hell. Of course, we only get Pinhead in the modern-day America setting and the future setting because he was not created yet in the Lament configuration. The modern-day America setting does actually use the ending of Hellraiser 3 to pretty good use where the entire building is a actual Lament configuration and that the building is styled with the various stylings of the box itself. They did a good job of incorporating that and also incorporating of why the box would be in one of the supports of the building itself. Of course, the ending of Hellraiser 3, Joey went and put it into cement at the end of the film. So it does do nice callbacks to part three. However, I really feel you need to watch part three and part four together as part three is largely forgettable and so is part four to be honest so to get the full story you really should watch them back to back one thing that is not entirely clear is the fact that angelique and pinhead are actually against each other in this movie there's a lot of parts in this film that make it seem like they are working in conjunction and that they have great affection for one another but that couldn't be further from the truth, as it seems Angelique and Pinhead are almost in a struggle between each other of who will actually rule hell. I think the final act of the movie with the future is handled relatively decent. It does have that space setting, but it doesn't really feel too much like space as far as being futuristic or too out there. They tried to ground it a little bit. I think the final act though with the whole spaceship becoming a box of itself is kind of goofy but in Hellraiser canon this one here is actually the final one because Pinhead is actually defeated and killed at the end of the film so that would mean any other Hellraiser story would come before that and I do know that Clive Barker did have approval, more or less, on Hellraiser 5. Of course, we'll talk about that later. I wonder how much input he actually had here on Hellraiser 4, because Hellraiser 4 feels entirely different. As much as Hellraiser 3 felt different from the first two, this one feels different from 3. And as much as it ties into number 3, it's its own beast. And I think that's probably because of the famous editing that went down on this one. The story of it is, is that Bob and Harvey Weinstein were upset with the movie itself. I guess it did not do well in test audiences. So that's when they came up with the plan to save the movie. And they almost do a Tarantino-esque style editing on the film where we're given different scenes at different time periods 
all at once, so it's not as grounded as what it should be. If you do seek out the work print version of this film, you'll see that they have it as a distinct past, present, future setup. And I don't recommend seeking out the work print unless you're a super big fan because it does make it a little tough to watch, especially since somebody tried to go and create a new film. It's divided into, I think, 10 different parts, and it gets a little weird when they incorporate some of the animated segments to try to do it. I don't know what engine or whatnot they use to do this, but it doesn't look that great. You can almost entirely skip over that part. It is nice to have a little bit more context and it does make things a little bit more clear. It's just recommended for true fans only. In preparation for this, I did watch the work print with some added scenes and such in it. And it does flush the movie out better and it would be a better film in general had we gotten that other film. But sadly, we get this chopped up version with some reshot stuff and that's where Kevin Yeager took his name off of the project. He was allowed to Alan Smithy the film and while it's a disjointed effort I don't think it was necessarily that bad that he should have proceeded with that route. However I do understand that somebody took his film away from him so I would be upset too if that happened to me. So I can't say that I blame Kevin Yeager for doing that. Sadly, this is Kevin Yeager's only directorial effort. He's mostly known as a special effects guy. He did a lot of special effects on the Nightmare on Elm Street series and did a lot of special effects on the Hellraiser series. He did the Crypt Keeper from Tales from the Crypt as far as the puppetry. He designed Chucky. He's a pretty talented guy and he really wanted to step into making films and sadly this did not pan out and he will probably never make another film again based off of his poor experience here on Hellraiser 4 and it really is a shame that he got treated that way but a lot of first-time directors without the power that a long-standing director might have especially with the egos of Bob and Harvey Weinstein it just wasn't a good mix anywhere. I think the special effects are handled relatively well here. They're decent looking. I think Pinhead probably looks the best as what he's ever looked. Of course, we have Gary J. Tunnicliff, I think I said his name right, who was doing most of the special effects throughout the series, and he does great work here. He's the one main consistent throughout all of the Hellraiser films is that he did the Cenobites and the makeup on Doug Bradley. Doug Bradley's performance is again commanding and a real highlight of the movie itself. I don't feel it dilutes the Pinhead character in any way. The lines that he's given are still powerful ones and still catch your attention every time he speaks. If there is one saving grace, Kevin Yeager in recent months said that he does have a completed work print however work prints are generally not with a lot of the special effects added they're rough cuts the sound editing and stuff is just not there so what I did watch was one of the work prints and it would be nice if Kevin Yeager would be allowed to release this if one of the smaller companies would maybe purchase the rights for it or even 
throw a little bit of money at him and allow him to get the movie into a more watchable shape. That would be fun. But as it stands, this is a interesting movie on a lot of levels. It just doesn't get to where it should be or what its potential could have been. I think the most disappointing aspect about this movie is there's actually a good horror movie lurking around in here. And sadly, I don't think we will ever get a chance to see it. But with that being said, I think I'm going to close out tonight's episode. As a reminder, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam underscore analyzes. If you need to catch up on past episodes, you can do so at adamanalyzes.com. And if you don't do the whole social media thing, you can reach me at adamanalyzespodcast at gmail.com. If you do have a free moment, I would greatly appreciate it if you would leave me a five-star rating at the podcast listing platform of your choice. It'll allow me to reach new listeners and continue making episodes. But with that being said, be kind and good night.